What's poppin' real ones? Logan Murdoch here with Raja Bell. Raja, man, I think we had a podcast for the ages, bro. I think this is one of our best, man. Really? We've had some really. We've had best. some. We'd have some decent pods, at least in my in my opinion. You, I think this is one of our best guests. We have Damn. Amin El Hassan. He was dope. Amin was dope. He was really story dope. time with Amin El Hassan. Story time with Amin El Hassan. We literally just talked about the Suns, and we went just like twenty minutes on Shaq stories. It was great. It was great. So tap in. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explorer page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com backslash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com backslash RG. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away? Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Good, real ones. Logan Murdoch here. Raja Bell. I don't even want to call this a special guest because he ain't really that special. But um, <laughs> who we got on the pod today, Raja? Yeah, this is this was actually like real talk. I don't know if you could like cross over from players to front offices, but like Amin was kind of like my rook. This is Amina Hassan. Like he was like a young pup in the Phoenix organization. I was a grizzled vet. Um, so I'm gonna claim it. My rook. Amin El Hassan in the bill. <laughs> What's popping, Amin? How you doing, Brody? I'm good, man. And and uh, Rajay in line, man. That was my vet, man. Everything from looking out for me and like getting me stuff and make sure my gear was good to hazing me at training camp and making me <laughs> mm. <laughs> stand up. Stand up. A, sounds like a good place to start. Sounds like a great place to start. So so he um, hazed you. What's going on? Yeah. So at training camp. You know, you go and you have that first big night, you have a big dinner, the whole team is there and the staff is there. And typically, like, they make the rookies get up and sing and you got to do, they make them do shots and then you make them do ridiculous things. They got to run around the restaurant. All right, who is it? We made Atlanta Tucker just literally prance around this restaurant that's full of other people who are just there screaming, I'm so pretty, <laughs> like the whole time. So for me... Wait, what kind of restaurant is this? What, which, which restaurant, it, it which was restaurant a, is this? It was a steakhouse in Tucson, I want to say. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I want to... Was it like a Firebirds or something like that? I don't know. It was something... It was, something it was nice. Yeah. It was nice. It wasn't no... Like, it wasn't Applebee's. Like, we were, we were at a nice restaurant. It's on the team dime, right? And so they made me... 
I don't know to this day why. Like somebody had it in their head that yo, I mean, looks like Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so they made me sing. What was it? The Candyman. The Candyman. Right? Yes, the Candyman can. <laughs> in front of a restaurant, like not to the to our table. Like no, you gotta sit and you gotta project. And so all these people came for a quiet dinner at this nice, classy restaurant. They turn around and they just see me like belting it out. But because I don't know the words, they, I said, I can't sing it. I don't know the words. I don't know which asshole pulled it up. Boom. They had it printed out on a, on a piece of it. There you go. I'm like, shit. So I had to read the lyrics off a piece of paper. And then there was a lot of alcohol involved after that. Uh but yeah, man, Roger's my vet, man. I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm he's he 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 led me the right way, I would say. I mean, do you remember what Lucas Tischer? You remember that name from camp? Yeah, yeah. You remember what he had to sing that? You remember he was Brazilian? Um, yeah. You remember what he sang that that night? <laughs> no. What did he sing? He sang. I think it was Copacabana or something like that. He had to sing and in broken English. It was it was a great night to be a vet. Tough on the rooks, though. Hey, my man did not speak English. He didn't speak English. Like... No, yeah. So he didn't even know what he was reading. Like, oh. did y'all give him lyrics too? Like, what what's going on right now? What what, what what's this was like? I mean, like a six eight freak of a human being that like did not speak English, and so. He knew some, no, 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 it wasn't Copacabana. It was some Brazilian, some Brazilian song that he sang that was, that was. Uh, is it Lombada? Was it Lombada? Lombada, bro. That's not Brazilian, man. It was, no. that's Spanish. It's some Portuguese song. No, not Lombada. He, um, no, 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 no. I don't know the name of that song. I, don't I thought rem- it was called Lombada. I thought it was Copa. It was not. I was wrong. But it was, it was, it was. It was very entertaining as well. Um, but I must have, uh, Amin pulled it off though. Amin pulled it off. He was, he was game. Like it was, you know, some dudes get up there and they're like ashamed to be up there and they make such a spectacle of it that it's not even like funny. Like Amin participated. It was cool. I, I, I fought against doing it because I said I'm not a rookie because technically this was my second season. But then they hit me with the technicality of, well, you were an intern last year, so that don't count. And the first game, of this, you know, of your second season hasn't been played yet, so you still a rookie, basically. Dog, you got you got lucky. I was a rookie three times, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, what? what was your what was your favorite? Uh, what was your rookie uh, hazing, Raja? What, what 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 did you do? I'm trying to. What think are your of three hazing. rookie hazings? I actually got pretty. I got I got pretty lucky in terms of hazing. I didn't have any any real assholes. So. um the 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 strangest thing like was the year I spent with J.R. Ryder. Like it was the preseason. I was with the Hawks. <laughs> yeah. They had just traded for my man, right? And like I've told this story before, bro. Like Lenny Wilkins had a, a policy. Alameda legend. <laughs> the only the only stipulation like in the dress code for flying was um jacket and shoes. Like there was no other like real benchmarks of what you had to do like with the dress code. So this brother didn't have any of that. He wore sweatsuits all the time. So he borrowed my Averex jacket and a pair of like Havana Joe boots, no shirt on underneath it and sweatpants and just showed up on the on the plane like that. And then there was another instance where as the rook, he asked me to to give him some clean um, samples so that he could uh, 
past the one drug test we had. Yeah, but I'm like, dog, I had to respectfully decline. And I'm not even that dude. Usually I'm like, yo, whatever. But I was like, my man, I'm just trying to make the team, bro. I I, (laughs) can't get get caught up in that right now. I remember I saw... uh, Steve Kerr's son, Nick Kerr, they made him sing Blow the Whistle at the last, uh, like, <laughs> like, oh. like, uh, fan day at Oracle. <laughs> and oh, he, they made him do the whole thing. <laughs> the video of it, it was awesome. But tell me about that. Uh, how was that Phoenix Suns era for you? I mean, you know, with, you know, starting with Raja, but during your tenure at, um, in Phoenix, how was that for you? So for me, cause I, this was a third team I worked for. Uh, I worked for the Hawks in the past. I worked for the Knicks, but like I used to joke, like, "Oh, so this is what it's like to work for a good team." Because <laughs> I mean, hey, the Hawks. It's funny. I the first I worked two, three seasons with the Hawks, and that was when J.R. Ryder was there, and Jimmy Jackson, and Rick Mahorn was an assistant coach. Did you and Raja overlap at that time with in Atlanta? No, I no, I don't think okay. so. Because Roger was in Philly at the time, I want to yeah, say. Yeah, that would have been the year after they cut me, probably, or two years after okay. they cut me. Yeah. So I, I started there, and, like, it was cool because, for me, that was my first job. I'm like, oh, I'm working in the NBA, whatever. But, you know, team's terrible, and I, I was as entry-level as entry-level gets. The next job was with the Knicks, and they were coming off a playoff appearance. So I'm like, cool, and I'm, I'm from New York. I grew up a huge Knicks fan. I'm like, this is great. And you get there and then you realize, oh, that's why the team has problems. When you realize that the organization is all, everything is all upside down over there. And it's, it's not never really, I was, what I found is we talk about bad organizations. It's rarely because of an individual's fault, right? It's not because of the general manager or because the coach or because the star player or whatever. It's because the organization's messed up. And so that was kind of my experience there, but I learned a lot more because now I'm realizing how things are working and stuff. And I work with good people. I work with people who took the time to like teach me, even though nothing was going right. So by the time I get to Phoenix, now I'm like, all right, I've been, I've been in, I've, I'm, I'm an industry guy now, but how do I stick? Hmm. And so that was my big thing is like, how do I stick? And so I came to Phoenix and, um, I was kind of hungry in a different way. It was it was one of those things where, you know, if, you know, the rat with the maze and the cheese, at first they're going to sniff around and then they'll find it. But if you keep putting the same rat in the same maze, now he knows exactly how to get to the cheese. And that was kind of what I was like. I was in there and I'm, I'm talking to all the right people, I'm getting to know everybody. Um, and at the same time, the team is awesome, right? They j- just gone to the conference finals in 06. Uh, and my first day working in basketball ops, I was like on a Monday, and then on Wednesday they all went to Italy for training camp. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> like everybody. I'm like everybody. Yeah. The yeah. entire basketball operation, Griff and and Mark West, and all everybody was gone. The only person left in the office was me. So one of the things that happened to me when I was with the Knicks was. Much of the time I sat around waiting for someone to tell me to do something. Mm. And it wasn't until like the last third of the season where I was like, fuck it, I'm going to start doing things. And if someone likes it, they like it. And I remember I I did this whole project on like Jamal Crawford, his field goal percentage in different situations, like off the dribble, how many, like shit that's available to us now because of the data. Like I was logging that shit off of tape 
and like cutting the film and stuff. And so I remember uh, the late Dickie McGuire, who's like one of the great scouts of all time, uh, Hall of Fame or whatever. He was an old dude that just gave everybody shit, like because he just you know how the old NBA life is, or whatever. And so one of my jobs was I was supposed to enter his scouting reports on the computer because he didn't use computers. He just hand wrote everything. <laughs> so while I'm doing that, he's looking at my stuff and he's like, you did this? And I said, yeah. And he said, why are you wasting your time here? I said, what you mean? He's like, yo, basketball's for dumb people. You need, you could have an actual job. He's like, I do this because I can't do anything else. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I, I love it though. I want to do this for a living. And so that's when I started okay, I need to do more of these projects. So fast forward, I'm with the Suns. They're gone. I was like, all right, I'm not going to sit around. I started doing all these crazy projects. When they came back, I handed like a stack of shit to Griff. And Griff was like, you did all of this while we were gone? I'm like, yeah. And so that kind of won Griff over. Uh, and then like being in the video room with the video guys with Noel Gillespie and, and Jason Marsh Knowles, now the head coach of, I want to say, Atlanta's G League affiliate. And Jason is the head coach of Memphis's G League affiliate but those were the video guys opening night we were playing the clippers and the computers all crashed and them dudes didn't know what to do so i went in there and i fixed it because I, I had uh experience working with computers and stuff and that won those guys over and so and so on and so forth you start doing all these things that no one asks you to do and that kind of gets you ingratiated with everybody and then like that's when that's when the fun begins as far as like being part of a winning franchise what reports were you writing while we were away dog like did you write a report on me? Like, what were no, you no, writing, no. bro? I'm interested. Like, what were you, what did you, what did you come into Phoenix and say there'd be value in them knowing like a deeper dive into this? So at the time, Griff had like this metric system that he evaluated players off of. I mean, it wasn't like a hard and fast thing because you know Griff. Right. Griff's a very, I, I take information how it comes, but it was just something to help inform him on like, sorting players or whatever. They did it only for NBA players, right? He called it BIQ. And so I figured out what the formula was for it. Then I took it to college basketball and I had all 300 colleges in D1. I fed everybody's stats into it and boom, I sorted it out by that number. Oh shit. And okay. I was like, boom, here we go. Uh, the other thing was at the time Synergy was still brand new. Like everybody uses Synergy now, but back then, like nobody knew how to use it. Sure. So I sat around, I had a Synergy login and I sat around and I learned how to do that shit. So when they came back and they would have scout meetings, like I ran, I, I, I was driving, I was running the video because like anything you wanted. Hey, I want to see, uh, this is the time I think Florida was winning national championships. I want to see it. Corey Brewer, Joe Kim Noah pick and rolls. Boom. Got it. Like, you know, and, and just stuff like that. I was just learning how to do stuff that I knew would come in handy. Uh, our scouting reports that we would do, uh, you remember this, Roger, you know, the orange sheets that we'd have on the, on sure. the, on the mirror, on the mirror, whatever the individual player scouting reports. Like I redid those, the uh, scouting reports that the coaches would do after we play a team, right? Like the postmortem, whatever. I redid that form so that all they would have to do is start typing and it would all fill in and shit. So it's just, it wasn't like, yo, I found uh, this gem and in, in this diamond in the rough that's going to be a, an MVP one day. But it's just little things that make the whole operation smoother. Yes, sir. How does that help you, Raja, when you have a guy like 
a mean or somebody that is going an extra mile to make sure, especially around that time, because that's before we really start getting the synergy and we really start getting those advanced metrics. But how does that help you as a player and help inform you on the game that you're that you're playing? Well, that's what it's about, right? Like at the time, like I didn't know Amin was was you know spending the amount of time that he was kind of doing that. But we're looking for as as much information as we can get that's pertinent to the job we have to do in the most efficient way, right? Like I don't want to sift. I don't. I don't want to have to sit there and sift through, if you will, an entire. At the time, they were DVDs to figure out like how I'm guarding Kobe, right? Like streamline that shit. Get me yep. all the clips of him you know, going left into his pull-up and then get me all the clips of him going right um, and having to counter it if I cut him off. Like, if you can streamline it and get it to me like that, like, that becomes really important to me doing my job. So that's almost exactly the example I was going to say is that Roger would come in and there's two things he would do. One, it would be like, we're about, we're going to play the Lakers. So Roger would want, like, our last four games, every possession I was guarding Kobe. Uh, and because we're logging it as video guys that have all that. And so it was just the matter of just hitting a button, export, and then having it burn. And then Roger could sit and watch possession after possession after possession and figure out the stuff. The other thing you used to do, Roger, I don't know if you remember this. If you were going through a slump, you would ask for tape of you hitting shots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... We- we have Raja makes. I would already. I have the DVD ready. I'm like, he's gonna come in for this one. Be like, like this would, motherfucker ain't made it. He ain't made it three in five games. He's gonna need a tape. Let's get it ready. He's gonna. He's coming in. It's like he walks in the door. In. You have the, the, the tape for him right here, bro. <laughs> yeah. you know, know I got that from. I got that from Gordon Chiesa, man. Like, I don't know if you know Gordy. Um, Utah. Yeah, right? one of my favorite coaches, bro. Like, I'd be yeah. I'd be going through slumps, and you know, um, he would show up with the breakdown of makes, and we'd sit there, and I'd be like, dog, I know what I'm doing when I made shots, but it was just, it, 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 it's helped from, it helped me. And so I took that wherever I went. That's dope. So you were there. So from 06, I mean, so what are like 2010, mm-hmm. right? 2012. 2012. So I, I saw it all the way to the end. That's what I'm saying. So you saw both sides of it, right? You saw Raj's, you know, where it's the yeah. height of the height. And then you go into 2012, the, like, I guess that's the lockout year. What was the biggest yeah. change from Raj's time there to the time when you ended and gone to, uh, gone to, the dark side. Easy. Management. Okay. Uh, when Roger was there, David Griffin was there, I believe a year into a year, a year into my tenure, uh, Steve Kerr joins. Uh, but like when I got to Phoenix, everybody who worked there, I'm talking about everybody, marketing, business, whatever. There was two types of employees. There was people who was there when the building was open in 92. And then there are people who've been there since 69. So I was like the young whippersnapper, whatever. And everyone in there was like like a lifer. Uh, So Griff had been there since 92. Mark West obviously had played for the team since the 80s. Um, uh, Todd Quinter had been there since the 80s. Uh, John Shoemate had been a draft pick of the team in like the 60s or whatever. So everyone in that front office had been there for a long time and kind of knew the lay of the land. And... uh, over time, people left. And so by the time you get to 2012, you got, I, at six years in, became one of the most tenured people in the organization, which is insane. Like, uh, I'm like, I was, I'm the new guy. All of a sudden now I'm the guy telling bedtime stories about, I remember when we were in the conference finals and this happened, like, it's just an insane kind of power shift to go. But the reality is it, it really kind of was, it started with Jerry Colangelo selling the team, really. 
And yep. Jerry was around, but the less influence Jerry had, the further we went away from that family environment and the more it turned into people who knew how to manage up, right? If I know, say the right things, I'm going to get uh, promoted and this will, this will happen. And mm. so for me, my whole time working for the Suns under Steve and Griff was, I never had any questions about agendas. I knew we were all trying to win. We may not go about it the right way. And, you know, I know Roger, me and Roger have had this conversation before, like what happened when we hired Terry Porter and, you know, how everything kind of started to fall apart around that. But like, we were earnestly thinking that we were doing the right thing, even though it turned out to be a mistake. Transition to now people don't give a fuck about doing what's right for the organization or for the winning or whatever. And it's all about how does this reflect on me so I could look better. I remember doing stuff for the new management and they were like, yo, you got to have a cover and they got to say, bye, Amino Hassan. And then I'm like, why? So they know you did it. I was like, who gives a fuck who did it? We're, we're, we're trying to get good information to make good decisions. Like I'm still going out of naive, like I'm trying to win. And y'all out here like, no, no, what's your goal? I remember I had the talk with the dude, the GM, whose name I will never say because he's a bum. But um, <laughs> he sat there with me at his first training camp and he said, what's your goal? And I said, oh, you know, I want to help us win a championship. He said, no, 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 no. What's your goal though? He said, to help us win yeah, a championship. That's the goal, bro. Isn't that yours? So I said, yeah, what's your goal? He said, well, I'm, I'm the general manager. So that means I manage things generally. That's literally verbatim what he Whoa, said to me. Wee. And like his whole thing was like, when I was in Cleveland, my thing was, how can I become a general manager one day? And now I'm that. And I'm like, why are you telling me your life story? Why is your goal something other than to help us win a championship? But that's when I started to realize, oh man, like, that, what we just came out of, that wasn't the real NBA. The real NBA is people who are all fighting for, like, placing the hierarchy. How can I be better? How can I have a higher thing? How can I get a, a, a raise? And not, how can we win? Wow. That's, what do you, how do you feel when, what is your response to that, Roger? How do you feel when you hear that, at least from the, the, front, the front office side? Because we've talked about your difficulties with management, um, you know, with, you know, Sarver and, yeah. How do you feel when you hear it from, you know, the front office point of view? Um, it, it's deep, um, but it's not surprising. Uh, and I, and I think, you know, di dysfunction always kind of starts at the top. I'm, I mean, said it before, um, the good teams that you play on, the ones that are collectively trying to win, you can, you can feel that as a player. Like, you know, that there's an investment made by everyone. They, they taught, they, they established the family culture that we talked about last episode, right? And that, that Amin was talking about there, that we felt in Phoenix. And and you know that. Like, and you learn how to navigate it. And even if you're on a team that doesn't have that, I mean, it's going to affect your ability to go out there ultimately and be the best team you can because you're probably not going to have the, the best decisions made for the best reasons. But it doesn't really affect your day-to-day. -day. I mean, you're still going out there. You know, my job is to play basketball. I'm trying to feed my family and make this bread while I can make mm -hmm. it. I'm not going to let no pettiness in a front office if I can help it affect my ability to do that, you know? Yeah. Roger, do you, re do you remember the conversation we had when I saw, I saw you that first preseason after all the change happened? Yeah. And I pulled you aside. You remember, you remember that talk? Yeah, it was down there in the bowels of the arena, right? Yeah. And, you, yeah. and you, I don't remember the pointed question you asked me, but correct me if I'm wrong. I said to you, like, be careful because people want to know 
your opinion on shit and they really don't. Like, so don't right. give them everything you got because they don't want to hear that shit. They're just asking to be asking. That's mm. exactly what he said. So I, I went to Roger and I said, Roger, when you were here, we hired Terry Porter. It was the wrong decision. We all knew it was the wrong decision, but we wanted to lie to ourselves, say, oh, give him a chance and see da-da-da. And Roger was one of the people from the beginning was like, that guy doesn't know what he's doing. Facts. Right? Like, like, just straight up. I'm, I'm not talking about like kind of, oh, I don't know, guys. Like straight up in the middle of practice, like you don't know what you're talking about. Right? <laughs> you, said that to the, knew, you said this to the coach, oh, Roger? <laughs> Probably. Yo, let me say, I'm going to say, because the statute of limitations run out, because this is one of my favorite stories. Okay. I'll never forget this. We're in practice. We're going five on no on this side. Roger's at the basket at the other end. I shit you not, practicing <laughs> sky hooks from like 20 feet. <laughs> like just Kareem Abdul-Jabbar from 20 feet out by himself, lefty-righty. In the middle of it, he grabs the ball, dribbles up to half court to where we're at on the other side of court, says... What the fuck are we doing? <laughs> and then walks back and then goes back to practice in sky. <laughs> and, Roger. But here's a, <laughs> Bro. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead I mean, go ahead of me. The, the crazy thing is, like, it's it's kind of like I know that feeling now, you know, like as a father, when I see my kids and like they'll say something that I know is hilarious and right, but at the same time, you kind of like feel like I can't show that emotion. You're still, stern, like, the, you're still a parent. You're still a parent. You can't yeah, like just give them that's that. That's inappropriate. Yeah. That's inappropriate. But like, like same thing was like with Roger, we're like, I'm dying laughing, first of all, on the inside. But also part of me is like, he's right, man. Like the drills that we're doing right now, this ain't high school, man. What are we doing? What, what are we doing? Right. But also you're like, nah, you got to let the coach kind of figure his way out and find his way. And, you know, Roger, you got to give him a chance. Da, da, da. And ultimately what happened was Roger got traded. Yep. Because, like, he wasn't with the shit. And then Terry Porter got fired maybe, t like, a month later or two months later. He had, that was his first season. He, he, didn't, he didn't make it to All-Star break. And so, fast forward, I'm going through a situation where I'm working for someone who clearly doesn't know what he's doing. Clearly. I'm talking about, like, they want to have a, 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 a free agent point guard workout. They don't want to consult me because I'm the old guy, so they don't want any – they want to do everything on their own. And as they're getting on, the guys are getting on the floor, it's like, you got the, the waivers, right? And they're like, waivers? <laughs> what? Well, you, know, you know, someone gets hurt right now. Guess what? Congratulations. You just signed that dude for the season, basically. Right. So I'm sitting here, I'm thinking like, these people don't know what they're doing. And I'm talking to people and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, no one does shit about it. So I asked Roger, I said, Roger, you were right and we were wrong. Uh, like, and now I, I'm in a situation where the same thing, I, I feel like I'm the only person pointing out the emperor has no clothes. What should I do? And Roger said exactly what he says. Like, there are going to be a lot of people who act like they're on your side and they want to hear your opinion. These people don't care. And he said, mm. actually, the, the last thing you said is like, do you like it here? Do you like living in Phoenix? I said, yeah. He said, man, just be quiet and go along with it. Facts. Cause I had just, I had just fucked it up. Like, yeah. Real talk, because I loved Phoenix. Wait, um, did you my, know you yeah. fucked up as soon as you said that shit, Roger? As soon as you were Roger Ab Abdur? <laughs> I was off the reservation at that point, dog. Like, I was not hosting here. Like, <laughs> Roger Abdur out here just... Mind you, like, this is how... This is how it, like, I could have been down there shooting regular jump shots, 
because that's what I did, but I took it to the sky hook. Like that tells you how far <laughs> off the reservation I was with that shit, right? But I was like, dying, man. It was crazy. But Terry, so what happened with that, like, was when Terry came in, and I don't know if you know this. I mean, like, I don't when we went down to Arizona for for training yeah. camp, like he brought in uh Dick 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 Bennett. Was that his name? His coach yeah, at uh, yeah, Dick Bennett, Wisconsin right. Whitewater or whatever he yeah. was at. Yeah. And you know, I was we were all like, okay, that's cool. Yeah, that's what's up. Like, I'm sure he's legendary and everything. And we put up, like, he had a bunch of clips of our year before offense, like, uh, of, uh, mind you, Western Conference uh, contending team. He put our offense up. And shit you not, the first clip that goes up is me coming down, like Steve bringing it up and kicking it ahead and me towing the line and, and making a three. And mm-hmm. the first thing he said was, while you made that shot, it's not a good shot for us. And we were like, you know, we had been sold on Terry Porter coming in and just tightening up our defense, like c- mm-hmm. keeping the same kind of philosophy offensively and just tightening the reins on what we did defensively. So when we all heard that, like literally we all looked around like, what? And I, so I, at that point I said, well, you know, respectfully, like that's a good shot for me. And he said, you said well, respectfully. Yeah. And he said, well, that's not going to be a good shot for us. And that's how we started. Right. And so we were all kind of like, man, this is crazy, bro. And then, you know, little shit like we had to play its pistol action. I mean, you know, pistol action. Like 21. We, we called it 21, right? Yep. He refused to let us call it 21. Like Steve wanted to call it 21. We all called it 21. Wait, he went against the franchise and was like, Dog, no, we're not going to do this. This man had to have it called pistol. Bro. He would not let us. The nomenclature had fu- to be his. And he fucked it up, by the way. Like, because t- 21, the basic 21 is the hit ahead and then the handoff back and then the big comes and sets the, the deep screen yep. and then you come off the screen and then there was the flare. You could set the flare. He he made us run 21, but the big would run to the block and it Correct. turned into a post up. Correct. And Correct. we were like, that, that's not, that defeats the whole purpose of this thing being open and free flowing and all that. And by yeah. the way, it's not like he was joining the seventh or the ninth or the 12th best offense in the league. We were the best we offense no- in the league. Every year. It wasn't a, a, a fluke. So here's what, so like I would sit around and lightweight, I felt some kind of way about this because we had good, we had good voices on that team. Like there were dudes on that team. And when we would sit around and drink wine or sit around in the cold tub, this was a conversation that we all had. Mm, Everyone was yeah. on board with this. I was the only asshole to go out there and fucking wait, say it. Wait, right? Wait. No, no talk. And so I did feel some kind of way because well, nobody had my back on that shit. I'll Apparently, I'll say, I'll, what Boris was the other one. Oh, I'm saying but he came Boris with me did, and he left with me. Bo- <laughs> <laughs> he got traded with you, first of all. But say, well, Boris did it in the Boris way. So Roger's going to do it like, boom, in your face. Roger's going to throw hook is, shots. Yeah. <laughs> Boris, Boris's way was because, uh, you got to understand, Boris Dia grew up, Magic Johnson's his favorite player. Mm-hmm. He grew up, he went to an academy for basketball. He didn't go to high school. The dude went to an academy for basketball, right? His mother is the greatest French women's basketball player in the history of the, the country, right? So his whole thing is like, I play basketball. Positions are bullshit. I could run point. I could be center, whatever. <laughs> Terry comes in and says, you're a power forward. When you grab a rebound, you got to find a guard and yeah. give it to him. You don't, don't yeah. bring the ball up, which was, we let Boris grab the rebound and bring it up like Draymond Green. Like he, he bring it up yeah. and make plays and, and whatever. So Boris's thing is, first of all, is like you're insulting my intelligence, saying I, I can't be trusted to do this. But also, I'm going to be a dick about it. So if Boris would grab the rebound, take one hard dribble up the court, stop, turn and look for Steve, 
and then like hand him the ball like it was a newborn infant, <laughs> like cradling it. Here. And then after he'd hand it to Steve, he'd look at the bench. Like, That's <laughs> see boo. what I did That's there? boo-boo. <laughs> Dog, he spent an entire game. Terry got on him in Minnesota. Um, I forget what the argument was about, but Terry got on him on Minnesota. So Boris spent the entire game. Some of the best footwork in the post, like lightweight, yeah. um, that, that I've ever seen, like stars included. Like his footwork in the post was <laughs> impeccable. So he spent the entire game backing people down and getting right to the front of the rim. And I believe... Terry Porter's thing was like, you need to score those in there. Boris spent an entire game working his way, like I'm talking about on the front of the rim and kicking that shit out. Refused to shoot. Every every time. Every single time. Every th- Dream shakes and up and unders and drop steps. I mean, it was textbook. But like, right, he, he'd act like he was going up and then... Whoop, and then kick that the shit out. So, so Roger, in the weak corner. you and Boris were both assholes just different ways, in different ways, right? Bo- we're just, just Boris and I are kindred spirits. We're just, we <laughs> deliver it different. Different deliveries, bro. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match. With Indeed, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerMBA. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerMBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Fuel up for game day and any day, really, at Sonic. For a limited time, you can get the new $1.99 Sonic Crispy Tinder Wraps. And trust me, you don't want to miss out. A crispy chicken tender and bold flavors like hickory barbecue and cheesy Baja. Crisp lettuce and melty cheese that make the perfect bite. So go get yourself some TLC, some tender love and chicken. And buy a $1.99 Sonic Crispy Chicken Tinder Wrap today. Tax not included. Limited time only at participated Sonic drive-ins. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida. We'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. So when did you know, like, because in my mind, the Phoenix Suns, especially in that era, if if everyone stays in place, like they could be in the conversation with the Spurs in terms of longevity, right? Like, I don't know if they win. I don't know how many titles you guys win, but I I do see like just stability and things like that. Do you guys believe that if that happens? Like, I know that's from my vantage point. Do you guys feel that way? Or how how do you feel if everything goes right? How does it, how does this uh, end up happening? I, I, listen, I, I thought when Mike left and I, I wasn't, I mean, you might've been in those conversations with Mike. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you feel comfortable speaking on that or not, but when Mike left, I thought that was the first domino that, that like, because we were going to lose our identity. No one else was playing like that. And no matter Mm -hmm. how much like, you know, Steve Kerr was on the phone with me talking to me about how this was going to work and TP was going to keep our, the bones of our offense. And like, no one had the vision like Mike did at the time to do that. So for me, when that, when that happened, it was going to be the beginning of the end of it. Um, But I did think if, if Mike stayed, 
And they could figure out obviously how to, you know, put pieces around. There was stuff that we we kind of needed. We would have won. We would have won a championship. Like I don't, I don't, there's no doubt in my mind. It just, it didn't work out like that. So we, we used to always think about like Utah as a comp where like Jerry Sloan was a coach for 8 million years and he going to be the coach. And if you come here, you understand this is how we play. And if you can't play this way, then this isn't the place for you. Not like, well, it's the coach on the hot seat. They didn't deal with that in Utah. So, and I know Utah didn't win a championship, but I'm just saying that's kind of like the, so we thought Mike was going to be the coach forever, right? Because Mike just wanted to coach and he wanted to coach his style. And, and, and we had a, an MVP that fit perfectly. And so everything was going to go. When Steve Kerr came in and he's talked about this, him and Mike butted heads because Mike is like, well, this shit works. Why are we doing something different? And Steve was trying to introduce some things that weren't quite that like that just at the time, I think if Steve had more experience being a general manager, he would know that coaches take that a certain way. Mm. Like when you come in and you point out, what if we do this or what if we do that? And so that fractured the relationship that led, I believe, Mike to start thinking this shit is over here. Mike didn't get fired. Mike left. Mike left. He took a job in New York. Uh, yeah. We never, there was never a feeling at any time like, my, I don't know if Mike's the right guy for the job. It was just, you know, suggestions from a front office and that highlights kind of like a reality in the NBA that the front office and the coaches have got to be on the same page because if they're not, the coaching staff will often be very paranoid about what's mm -hmm. happening. And, and rightfully so. You look around the league, the lifespan of a coach is like three years. So no matter how good you are, Dwayne Casey won coach of the year and got fired. So like, it's right that coaches are paranoid, but unfortunately it can, sometimes it's just paranoia. Sometimes it's not real. So Mike leaves, we go for the hunt for a new coach and Raja, that's why I said like there's a difference between making a mistake and just being incompetent. For us, we legitimately were looking for someone to coach up the defense, like Raja said. The offense is perfect. Now we just need someone to shore up the defense. And we interviewed a bunch of people and TP was like, yeah, 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 everything cool. The first red flag, Raja, was way before you guys even showed up. It was in August. We had a coach's retreat. And we go to the coach's retreat to talk about like philosophies and all that. And I'll never forget this. One of my guys comes back and he says, it's going to be a long year. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, we spent the entire time talking about offense. Uh -oh. I said, oh, so y'all were teaching him his, our offense? He's like, no. He brought like the Flip Saunders, 45 fist twist. Uh, every play takes 18 seconds to develop. Rip Hamilton, 700 baseline screens for a mid-range jumper offense. And I said, well, maybe that's just the stuff so that when he gets into it, we're up to speed on it because he might add some stuff here and there. So we get to camp. And the first practice and the first film sessions, Rogers Wright was all about offense. And it took us, I believe Steve Kerr had to talk to him and say, hey, man, you going to get to defense? Like, <laughs> like he, he did it kind of like in a subtle way, but not so subtle way. And that was the day that Dick Bennett came in and we were doing the like the Hoosiers sliding. Yeah. And, and, and that's when, yo, I'll never forget this. Shaq started singing, no baloney. We miss Mike D'Antoni <laughs> in the middle of practice. Yo. <laughs> Bro, wait. Why don't I, that's funny. I forgot that. Yes, he's singing that Shaq in the middle said of practice. That? Shaq yes. said that? The T-Pain. Singing Remember the T-Pain song? 
the T-Pain song, I, I could put you in a cabin up in yeah, Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. Remember that? Yep, he was yep. singing it to that tune like, no baloney, we miss Mike D'Antoni. <laughs> <laughs> and so now what ended up happening, this is how Shaq got flipped, right? Because at first Shaq was like, what the fuck is this shit? Yeah. But then we started going to offense and we started running a shit ton of triangles. Started posting that big ball. Fella. Yes, sir. And so Shaq, when Shaq came in the year before, you got to remember, Shaq thought his career was over. And Aaron I mean, y'all Nelson got him in shape. Y'all got him. Y'all got no, him. Yeah. He thought it was over. It's over. I'm, I'm like, this is my last year in the league and that's it. And Aaron Nelson, I never forgot. Before we traded for Shaq, he looked at a video for like 15 minutes. He's like, yeah, he's fine. All you got to do is do this, 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 and this, is gonna, this isn't firing, whatever. We'll have him back on the court in two weeks. And damn, it wasn't like 10 days. They, were, no. they had him back on the court. They're so dope Shaq, like that. They're dope like that. They're, they're the best. So Shaq comes back and that, remember Roger, he was, the whole thing was like, my mission is to make Amari Stoudemire the greatest power forward ever. Gifted the man a Rari upon arrival. Like that's no, like, wait, 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 what? Yeah. What? What? Say what? Yeah. What yeah. Gifted the man a Rari. Go, like, go, go, yeah, what happened? We're going to get back to that. But like, what happened? Listen, I mean, he gave the man a Ferrari. Like, I don't know if Stoudemire gave it back to him or not, because I was gone after that. But it was a, <laughs> it was like a, it was like a peace offering. Like, dog, I'm here yeah. to help you. Like, to be a big brother. Yeah, yeah, to be a big brother. Really said that. Like, verbalized that. And yeah. here's this, here's this Ferrari. Just in case you don't think I'm for real about that, take that. Hey, Raja, yeah. what's your uh, gift for me and Sasha, bro? What? I mean, I got a Nike comp. Y'all want a T-shirt? Yep. Yeah. Listen, listen, free. Go ahead of me. So, so that's that's how Roger took care of me. <laughs> that Nike account. The uh, I might actually have those shoes here. That's a crazy thing. I'll, I'll look for it later. But but anyway, so Shaq that first year was like the whole, everything. Like I'm just here to rebound and rim protect and make us better, right? Mm-hmm. And he did. We we ended up that year like 21 and 10 down the stretch or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're playing great. We got knocked out by the Spurs in the playoffs. It happens, you know, like it just was one of four out of five games. Three out of the four losses were like one point games. Timmy hit his only three of the season, like to to beat us in overtime. Like, yes, stuff like that. Yeah, man. And so we, we go to camp the next year. Shaq is still kind of in the same mindset. And then the offense starts. And then you give this old lion a taste of raw meat again. He's like, oh, yeah. Oh, now he remembers how it feels to get touches every single time and back down and dunk on people. And, and so now Shaq is not quite as like on board with the get this guy out of here plan. Shaq is like, well, let's hear I mean, him he's out. cool. Like, let's, let's figure this out. Let's just, let's, let's calm down. Let's figure this out. He might have a point here, guys. Right. <laughs> and, and, and Shaq wound up being an all-star that year. Yeah, and also MVP. He was yeah. also MVP. And yeah. Phoenix. Yeah. And Phoenix. Walking in it and shit. In, in Phoenix, yeah. yeah. I mean, he, that was like, look, to me, that was like the testament to like, our training staff is the best training staff in the world. Because we took a dude who thought his career was over, and a year later, we made him all-star MVP. Uh, in the same way that they took McDyess, who everyone thought he'll never play again, and he ended up making like $60 million after that. Grant Hill. Like, Grant, Grant Hill, Hill came in, hadn't played in who knows how long. Yeah, and Grant Hill got six more years, except like five more, six or five more years on his career. Like real good uh, Steve ones. Nash. Yeah. Steve Nash. Mark Cuban was yeah. like, he's done. And the guy turns into a two-time MVP. So and there's a bunch of other dudes. Michael Red was a guy that people thought couldn't play again, and he came back and he played for the Suns. And I mean, it, it's that training staff was just magical. 
I just wanted to see how Shaq was in the locker room, bro. Like, he just seems like he was a guy that, like, he'll, he picks you up, you know, he'll take you around, he's joking. Like, what is Shaq like in the locker room? Um, <laughs> Shaq. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes, I want to hear the stories. Shaq is, a, Shaq is a funny dude, man. He's a really, he's a really, really good teammate. Um, Really good teammate. Uh, Likes, likes, like, likes to tease, right? Likes to bear hug people to your point. And I remember Gordon Gurachek and him were playing before a game um, in the locker room and, you know, Goran and, yeah, got a little physical and Shaq finally had to show him what was up, put him in a chokehold, put him to sleep, like right at my feet in the locker room. Like, yeah. we, the man was asleep, day. knocked out, game day. This is, I don't know, 20, 20 minutes on the clock. Um, oh my God. Yeah, it choked him out right there on my feet. <laughs> Shaq, yo, Shaq is, first of all, the weirdest person I've ever met in my life. Like, if y'all think what you see on TV is like, that's not Shaq. Like, the real Shaq is just a hundred times weirdo. Uh, he, he, I remember before his first game, I'm walking p- past the lockers and he, like, calls me over. I come over and he goes, and I said, oh, wait, you want some gum? And he just not, he doesn't want to talk, right? So I go get some gum. Uh, and he, I said, what kind of you want? He said, cinnamon. So I go and I get him like the, or he's a big red. I go back the orbit cinnamon one. And he looks at me and he's like, what the fuck is this bullshit? I said, you want, we didn't have big red. We had, this is what we got. He's like, I don't want that shit. The next time you bet, next game you better have my big red or whatever. He goes out, he plays that game. He plays great. The next game I went out and bought big red for him. He's like, no, 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 give me that other shit. <laughs> he wants the orbits now because he thinks it like it gave him powers or whatever. He uh he one time he comes in, he's got like this big, like this old like GSM looking phone, right? The ones that they use out in Afghanistan, right? So he says, I need you to find the manual for this. I'm gonna go to practice. I'll be right, I'll be back after practice. Get the manual. I said, where'd you get this from? He said, I bought it from Walmart. I said, they don't sell this at Walmart. He's like, no. Turns out this is like the inventory scanner that they use at Walmart. But Shaq somehow knew that it also doubles as a GSM phone. So I printed out the entire manual. It was like 500 pages. After practice, he comes and sits down on the floor of the video room. I swear to God, he went through every single page. No, don't need this, don't need this. Comes out with the 20 pages he needed and walks away with that. Yeah, he... his tech, every gadget, every gadget. Look, that brother was on the bus one time with us, and he told me that he could send a text from my phone to someone or a call. He could call someone else's phone from my phone, right. not accessing my phone. And I'm like, that's that's bullshit, Shaq. Like you can't because he loves the bullshit. That's the other side of Shaq. Yes, though. he is full of shit. He loves the bullshit. <laughs> so like, <laughs> we bet whatever little menial about a bread. It wasn't a lot. Like, but. He, he, Leandro Barbosa's phone starts ringing. I got my phone in my hand and that shit has my phone number popping up on LBs. And Shaq is two rows ahead of me looking at me like laughing. Like he was just really into the tech world and, and music and all. He's an eclectic yeah. dude, man. He got a lot of, he got a lot of interest, man. He's a, he's a, he is an interesting bird. But, but let me just say right now, his bullshit game is like, every story he tells is, has the same structure. It's going to start as a real story. And then somewhere along the lines, he's just going to start being full of shit about it. <laughs> and he just want. and if you keep like listening, he's just going to, he's wanting you to catch him. Yeah. Like, so yeah. we're at training camp the next year and 
he's, we're having a breakfast meeting and he comes in late. He's all out of breath. And he sits down at the rookie table. I'm sitting with the rookies. He comes and sits down at the rookie table. And I said, big fella, where you been? He said, man, I had a hell of a night. We were at Palm Springs. It wasn't training camp. We were at Palm Springs. He said, I went to LA to go see, the, to go holler at this girl or whatever. He said, we went to dinner and she's driving. And I was like, okay, you can drop me off. And then she said, no, I'm not, you know, you're coming back with me. And he said, no, no, I got to get back. We took up early morning practice or whatever. And she says, no. So he says, I took the silverware from out of my to-go bag of the food and I threatened her with the knife. Yo, if you don't let me go, I'm going to cut you. So then she let me go. And then I had to get like somebody, I called somebody to pick me up, whatever. And the rookies are like, yo, that's what the NBA is like. You got these women like who kidnap you, whatever. And I said, they're like, Big fella, I've been to a lot of restaurants, man. A lot of fancy restaurants. I've never been to the one where you get a to-go order and they give you metal silverware. Metal silverware. <laughs> they give you plastic fork and and he just, this smile comes on his face. I'm like, you can't believe this, man. <laughs> I like, look at him, rookie. He's like, do not believe anything this man says because it's all bullshit, man. <laughs> Wait. Turns out he went to, yeah. Turns out what? He just went to dinner and like, then he, like he was just late. Oh. <laughs> he was like, he's just late. He said instead of instead of like just say, hey, my bad, I'm late. He just thought it'd be funny to have a, Dog, a, a you a remember tail. when he came in and said he sat he saw Sasquatch in the desert? <laughs> like, real talk. He was like big like I saw Bigfoot. There was a Bigfoot, a Sasquatch. My man had had someone film him. Like we didn't know it at the time, because you just see it's a grainy, blurry, like, blurry <laughs> video of like desert at dusk. So it, the lighting is poor and all of that. And this is a big effing figure, like walking like Bigfoot would walk in some of those fake videos. And and everybody's like huddled around. And then we're like, wait, that ain't no goddamn Sasquatch. That's your big ass walking through the desert. Like he has set the whole the, shit the, up. Like <laughs> the production value on these things. You know what I'm saying? It's not like just like, hey, I did no, he's like putting extra shit lies. on it. Great oh lies. my God! It's the best that and roasting. Roger, do you remember when we were we were at a restaurant and Robert was was there, and it, you, you, the grown ups were sitting at a table. So it was you, Steve, Grant, I believe Steve Kerr, and Robert. Mm -hmm. Y'all at this table, like entertaining the owner and like you know, because y'all the elder statesman. And then our table was over here, and the way we were seated because at round tables, your back was back to Shaq. And so Shaq is sitting there. He's roasting every person in the restaurant. He's ca calling out what they look like. He called Nola Richie Cunningham looking ass motherfucker. <laughs> he called Elvis Valcarcel, our video guy. He called him a, a out of shape Ben Roethlisberger looking motherfucker. Like he's going through the whole room. And so he gets to Robert. And now they can't hear us because they're having their own conversation. But Roger can. <laughs> so he calls Robert, a Daddy Bonaducci looking ass motherfucker. And Robert, uh, Roger starts laughing, but Robert thinks Roger's laughing at whatever story he's saying. So Robert starts laughing. Fantastic. Robert starts laughing. And Shaq says, Robert, Robert sounds like someone's tickling his balls with a feather. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, the, like, part of it is we're just laughing at Shaq, but part of it is I keep looking at Roger, and he's like, <laughs> I see the tear come down his face. You try to hold it together, bro. 
Oh man. No, we're gonna have to do it. This is gonna have to be like a, a run like story time with the Mino has it, bro. Like this is oh, bro, this is, this is, amazing. These are things, this is I've forgotten most of these stories. This Yo, is fantastic. I, had, I just want you to know I had a rundown for this episode, and we both know this because we were all in the pre-podcast meeting. That rundown is it's, it's blown. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's out of here. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, you know what? We could look. Let me salvage it. Let me let me take. Let me ask. Let you don't got to do that. It's fine. No, like, to some degree. To some okay. degree. Were you surprised? <laughs> right. I mean, you know Steve well. Like you know you yeah. know Nash well. Were you surprised? Because I think a lot of people were. At least a lot of people who really know him that he wanted to coach. Like Steve's got a lot of interests. Um, you know he's into he's into a lot produ- movie production and soccer and all you know new family young family. All of that. Were you surprised that he that he was coming back? And and you know, how do you think he's doing uh, so far? Roger, someone gave me the tip earlier, right? Like like weeks or like four or five weeks. Mm-hmm. Roger got it a month, a few months before, and didn't even say anything. Yeah. Was, yeah so I got it. I got man, it maybe bro. like five five weeks before. Mm-hmm. Yo, Sean Marks wants to hire Steve to be the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. And so I don't break news. That's my thing. So I always slide it to my homies that do, right? So I sent my homie, like, look, here's the deal. They're saying, Sean Marks, Steve Nash is the guy for the job, and he's offering the deal. And I said, and then I added my part. is like, he's never going to take it. Right. <laughs> Are you kidding me? He lives in Manhattan, Manhattan Beach, Beach, and he's got it, like you said, young kids, and he's like playing beach volleyball every day, like steps away from his house and he's having fun and he's doing the movie thing and the documentary thing. Like he doesn't want any of these like headaches or whatever of being a head coach. Like all his coaching itch, man, he goes up to Golden State and he does that up there. No That's chance. Easy, I, literally, <laughs> I literally said there is 0% chance he takes the job. Mm-hmm. And then he took the job. And then he took the job. Okay. <laughs> I mean, look, it, it's... Yo, it's, but it speaks to yo. I, I, I obviously I didn't play, but I'd be lying if I told you I don't feel that itch of like I just want to be around a group and we're pulling towards the same goal again. Like in a way that media just doesn't scratch that itch. Absolutely. It doesn't. Absolutely. I've and so, I've had that conversation a bunch with with agents and people asking me, you know, in years past about it. Like it it's it could be fulfilling in its own way, but it's never the same as never. being in that mix and and having that competitive kind of deal, you know what I mean? I I say that I always say this, as far as a day-to-day average, media is so much easier. I like it a lot better. But the highs, you'll never get the highs you get being on a team. But you also, most of the time, you won't get the lows because those look like that. I remember, Roger, the first game I went to when I'd stopped working for the Suns, it was Knicks at Suns. And that was a J.R. Smith life. hit the corner. Yeah, exactly. That was a, <laughs> the mean bowl, right? Yeah. And J.R. Smith hit a corner three to win the game. And mm. you know that I felt that gut punch like, fuck. And then I'm like, oh, wait, I don't give a shit. Like, this is, I'm, I'm fine. Right. This is great. Wait, what oh, is the man. high and low of that? Like, if it's just a regular season game, he hits a hits a buzzer beater. What is? Why is there such a low on that point? Are you like, oh my god, my job is, is ter- like, why is there such a low? It, it just, I don't know how to explain it, man. It just is. Every loss feels like shit, man. We're never gonna win this shit. We're all gonna get fired. Da da da. Every win feels like yo, ain't nobody beating our ass. Like, <laughs> you know what's interesting about that? You know what? No, seriously. You know what I found interesting about that? Because as a player. We talk about not getting too high with the highs, too low with the lows, right? And especially 
in playoff series where like the momentum can yeah. conceivably switch like in, in like from game to game. Um, I felt myself getting higher uh, and lower on a game by game basis when I was in the front office. Like when I played, I didn't feel that yeah. way, but in the front office, yeah, I really did. Like, cause the conversations you're having with Griff about what went wrong um, and what needs to be fixed, you know, those conversations are going to lend um, to you feeling like, oh, it's the end of the plant, end of the world. We got to do you know something. What it is? You know what it is, Roger? It's, it's a lack of control. That's what it is. When you're yeah, playing, yeah. y'all have control. We don't have mm. control. So once you get back over here, you're like, fuck, man. So I actually said, like, real talk, when I left that and, and people asked me to go back, I was like, you know what, man? I don't think I could do it in the front office because I didn't have any control. Like, right. if I coached, there would be a level of control. A little. There's a right? little bit more. A little yeah. bit. But, like, because I sat in that box, I mean, um, watching the games with, like, all of this shit in my head about – Man, like we just need to do that. And I can't communicate any of that to anybody over there on that bench until after the game. You just got to sit there and watch it and like just everybody watch else. It. Yeah, that's tough. That's, uh, man, wow. That, this has been a great episode. But, I mean, I want to, before we get out of here, I do want to, uh, you know, give you some pub and stuff like that. You just made a move from ESPN yeah. to Dan, to Dan Lebertard's venture. How does that, can you shed more light on what you're going to be doing um, with Dan? Yeah, so Dan Dan left ESPN as well. He started a new company called Metal Arc, uh, along with John Skipper, who was a former president of ESPN, who presided over ESPN over its most profitable, successful era ever. Um, and, you know, for me, it was a, a thing. I've been at ESPN eight years. I met a lot of great people. I met Dan there. Uh, and, and But, like, I knew the people that I like to work with and that I make I feel like I make good content with. And many of those people the last couple of years were leaving one way or another. And so when Dan was one of the last kind of places, I was like, if he's going, I'm going too. And so uh, honestly, right now, all I can say is I'm going to do NBA coverage for them, a little analysis for them on the, the show. I know that um, right now they're kind of setting everything up. When things get more settled, we're going to have new shows that are going to unveil and just expect to see me on a lot of the basketball stuff and a lot of the non-basketball stuff because, again, that's why I like working with Dan is that we get to kind of stretch outside the boxes that probably people want to put us in. Mm. Do you feel like you could stretch more out on here in this in this venture right now? Is that, is that a big reason why you could in, in the way that maybe you couldn't do at ESPN? No, I'll, I'll say, like, look, at ESPN, there were places to do it. It's just those places were shrinking, right? So three years ago, I used to do Sports Nation, which was – like with Michelle Beadle and Marcellus Wiley and first Max and then uh, LZ. And it was a, a, it was a show about sports, but it really wasn't like we were just right. messing around half the time. And I enjoyed that. Uh, I did highly questionable, which again, st show about sports, but it really was. It's about us messing around with the old man or whatever. And uh, a dance show, the radio show, which was simulcast and the jump, right. Which was m more serious and more about basketball, but Rachel's great at allowing us kind of to be silly and all that. And so Sports Nation gets canceled and Highly Questionable turns into like a people in boxes type of show and The Jump turns into a people in boxes type of show and then uh, Levitard Show leaves. And so I'm looking around and I'm like, it's not that the company ever said, I mean, you can't have fun or can't stretch out. It's just, where are the places? Because you can't just do stuff on your own. You got to have a place where it's going to air or be played or whatever. And so as I'm seeing these places shrink, I'm like, I could stay here and be 
NBA analyst and be serious all the time, but I kind of don't want to do that. I want to do more. And part of more is being more than a camera guy, uh, you know, or on-camera talent is being a creator and having ownership in the stuff I make. And again, like that's, you know, at a big company like ESPN, they own it all. So how do you do that? You got to leave somehow. And so that's kind of, that was the big impetus for me. Like I, I, I'm ready for the next stage of my career. Oh, hey, wish y'all the, the best, man. You guys are two of my favorite people in the business, though, you and Dan. So, um, but yeah. I do have a question. I do have a question. I mean, because I, what up? well, my other favorite, one of my other favorite people in the business was Poppy. Like, yeah, was that dude really hired, bro? Was that come dude? Yeah, I mean, on. was that really like, come was on. the dude, like, you got to give me the, you keep it a buck with me, bro. I got to so, know. The problem with Roger asking this question is that Roger's known Dan way longer. I can't than I find have. myself to text him and ask him that. I don't know. Like I'm scared to ask him. So I'm asking you. Yo, Roger, Roger was playing pickup basketball with Dan Levitar when Roger was like 12 years old and yeah. Dan was a freshman in college or something. No which doubt. is embarrassing, by the way. <laughs> uh yeah, it's just like Dan, like Dan, you playing with children, Dan. Come on, man. Um it, yo, I don't know how to answer that, man, because I kind of feel like part of being a part of Levitard show is, man, we're doing a show at all times. The show doesn't end when the show ends. I live the show every day. So okay. I kind of feel like okay. man, if you got to ask, I I'm going to just you. keep going You're going to you keep me on the hook. I got you, bro. I got you <laughs> got to ask him yourself. Yeah, I got you. I'm going to fire that text off today. Oh, he lying. He's not. He's scared. Oh, I am. Anyway. I'm firing it off. Fuck it. I had a meet <laughs> uh, on. I'm, I'm asking Dan next. <laughs> All right, man. That was a great episode. Let's, before we get out of here, though, man, let's get to real one of the week, um, a segment where we shout out a person, an entity, an organization that we just thought was real, man. And um, this is kind of bittersweet for me. I'll start it off. Um, Candace Parker, real one of the week, man. She going mm, to the sky. Yeah. It hurts my heart because the sparks fumbled the bag. How do you like in a closeout game? How do you? How do you bench your best player in a closeout game? I don't know. Sparks fumbled the bag. Anyway, Candace Parker, happy she's going home. Um, real one of the week. Raja, who's your real one of the week? Um, my real one of the week is one Les Snead, um, the general manager for the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, they were good. They've been doing some cool things. Went to the Super Bowl. But scared money don't make money. And he deemed that his quarterback wasn't going to get them to the promised land. And so he didn't balk at the chance to go out and get Matthew Stafford. I'm not saying that Matthew Stafford's going to get it done. Like, I don't know. I'm just saying the two first rounders and, and Jared Goff, because he thought it was the right deal to make. Scared money don't make money. He's about to make some money. Real one. Let's neat. Mm, I mean, who is your Amen. real one? Well, I'm going to go with Fred Van Vliet, Ooh. man. Not yes, only sir. scoring a franchise record 54 points, but also the highest point total ever for an undrafted player. And the crazy thing was the record he broke. I was thinking like, yo, is Roger going to be on this list? Who's on this <laughs> list? It was Moses Malone. Moses Malone technically was undrafted because he came from the ABA. Oh. So that kind of like really blew my mind. I was like, wow, the dude never went through the NBA draft. So he counts as an undrafted player. Mm. And he broke Moses' record. And anytime you break a, a great one's record like that, man, you got to feel good. But like, just think about Toronto. You know, you have DeMar DeRozan, Chris Bosh, Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady, uh, Kyle Lowry, Kawhi Leonard, all of these great scorers. But the highest point total in franchise history belongs to Fred Van Vliet. Let's real go. one. A real one. Um, that's been another edition of the uh, uh, the Real Ones podcast, man, on the NBA Ringer NBA feed. Uh, you can check us out. Um, every Monday and Thursday. You can also check out 
Group Chat, Mismatch, The Answer, which is a new show with Chris Ryan. Also checks out some of our other podcasts like R2C2 with who, Roger Maleo Bell? Maleo Legend, uh, CC Sabathia. Damn right. <laughs> and the Ringer NBA show, of my, a Ringer music show, excuse me, with my guy, Charles Holmes, man. We will see you guys next week. Thank you, Amin, for coming on, bro. Yes, sir. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client.